Uh, so good to see you here on this Easter Sunday, 2020. A um, couple quick announcements before we dig in. We are going to be in John chapter 20. So um, John chapter 20, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. Um, hey, we would love to hear from you during this Easter season. And so what that looks like, you probably or you should have got an email. It had a lot of information in it. You've gotten a number of emails over the last few days. But um, uh, one of them, one of the pieces of information in there was we'd love to hear from you uh, this Easter season. And what we'd love for you to do is take a 30 uh, to 60-second video of your testimony. Just introduce yourself, uh, talk just a word, a sentence, a phrase, uh, whatever that might look like, of what your life was like before Christ, and then a word, a phrase, a sentence or two about your life after Christ. And um, we'd love for you to send that in to us. Uh, there's some information on that email about where to send that in, and uh, we want to post that on our Aletheia uh, church Facebook page so that we can all hear each other's stories about what Christ has done and what he is doing in the lives of our people. Again, John chapter 20, uh, I'll begin. You know, we've, I think um, we've been given a rare gift these last couple of months. And um, I don't mean to suggest that the COVID-19 um, coronavirus pandemic itself has been a gift. In fact, I think um, the way that it's left in its wake, you know, sickness, pain, sorrow, and, and even death um, is not been a gift at all. Um, but what if some of the implications of the pandemic are actually a gift to us? You know, at some point in the near future, we're going to be, um, we're probably going to be bombarded with uh, commercials and advertisements of all sorts. Um, our political leaders are going to be doing everything they can. Uh, all of these people are going to be calling us to re-engage or re-enter um, life as we once knew it, to get back to normal, uh, they, they're going to say to us. But what if in some way normal as we once knew it isn't necessarily what we need? What if there's something here in our new normal that is God-given? What if there's something so deeply godly about our current state of affairs that takes us to the essence of what it means to be truly human? What if in the isolation, what if in the confusion, in the frustration, and in the fear, what if in all of the uncertainty, we're actually being led to a place of solace, a place of security, a place of dependence upon God that we might not have otherwise known? Maybe, just maybe, I was thinking, what if there's a silver lining to all of this? What if there's a silver lining to our schedules having been turned upside down or even to having come to a grinding halt? What if we're realizing that we don't really need to consume all of the things we've been consuming? What if we are coming to the reality or to the realization that we don't actually need all of the things that we once thought we needed? What if we are coming to the realization that we don't actually need to be doing all of the things that we thought we needed to be doing before we got shelter-in-place orders? You know, for weeks now, I think we've all been forced to navigate through this uncharted territory of quarantine and shelter-in-place, and you know, we've had time to, to, to think about it. We've had time to talk, to talk about it. And we've grieved, I think, what once was 
We've grieved how life was and the fact that it is no longer what it once was. And I think we've had time to um, embrace this new reality. We've had some time to settle in, um, as difficult as that may be. Um, and it, now, it wouldn't be wise for me to make bold predictions about our future, particularly as it relates to the coronavirus and all of its far-reaching implications. However, as we think about it, as we pray about it, as we ponder, as we begin to settle in, I think it's safe to assume that things won't be back to normal, at least the normal that we knew a couple of months ago for quite some time. And again, most of us had pondered this deeply for a number of weeks and having thought about all of the things that we cannot do, all of the things that we cannot be, all of the places that we cannot go, all of the things that we had planned that may not happen. And in pondering these things, many of us have become a little sad. And I want to say to you this morning that it is okay to be sad about those kinds of things. It's okay when you feel sadness and grief over the things that you might be missing out on or the things that you once had or once experienced that you no longer get to experience. It's okay to be frustrated. In fact, if you were to read Psalm 137, and we've read this before just a couple weeks ago, as Israel sat in exile in Babylon, far from home, in uncharted territory, they sat by the waters of Babylon. Listen to what the writer says. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing a, the Lord's song in a foreign land? They were in a moment of despair. They were remembering how things were and wondering how they could exist in this place, this new reality. This is a beautiful picture of what this type of existence really looks like. And you know, when we get to John chapter 20, uh, chapter 20 of John's gospel, we find the disciples in a similar situation. They are now living in uncharted territory. Let's pick up reading in verse 19. We'll read just a couple verses together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And by the way, they were afraid because they had just seen what happened to Jesus. He had been murdered. They were his closest followers. They were afraid of the possibility of what happened to Jesus would happen to them. They're afraid. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you would withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
so much for allowing us to gather this morning. I know, God, this is not the way we would have chosen to gather on Easter Sunday. We, we all hoped that uh, the pandemic would be over, that the shelter-in-place orders, the quarantines would be over, but they're not. But we know, Father, that Jesus is alive and that just as sure as we saw the sun come up this morning, the flowers blooming, the birds chirping, we know that Jesus is alive and that he is Lord of all, even over the pandemic. And so as we look at your word this morning, my prayer for your people is that their hearts would be encouraged that they would be lifted up and that we could begin to look ahead into the future at all the glorious possibilities of what you might have planned for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we arrive here uh, to these verses in John chapter 20, right after the resurrection, we can see easily Right, that the, shel- the, the disciples were essentially sheltering in place. And as we read this and we think about what's going on, we can easily immerse ourselves into this passage of Scripture right now. While the circumstances are obviously quite different for the disciples, the, the implications of what was going on and the things that they were feeling are very much the same as what we have going on right now. The disciples were huddled up together in isolation. They're confused They're afraid. They were, again, sheltering in place. This is the best way we can place ourselves into the story at the moment. They were living a new reality, and they weren't quite sure what the future might hold for them. But they were certain that whatever was going on, things would never look the same. And you know what? They were right about this. Maybe they were asking the questions that we're asking. What is next? Where will we go from here? What do things look like in this situation and even beyond this situation? What will we do? How will we survive this? And again, their lives wouldn't be the same, but not for the reasons that they suspect. I want you to notice what happens next. While they are sheltering in place, locked in this room together, Jesus appears to them. While they're locked up here, pondering all sorts of things, fearful, And possibly, again, wondering what is next, wondering what life looks like in this new reality. The most profound, amazing, life-altering thing happens. Notice verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Here they are huddled up. They just watched Jesus die. Of all of the ways that the disciples thought that their life might be different from this point forward, this might have been the least likely scenario. Remember, when we read the gospel accounts, we're reminded over and over again that the disciples had difficulty putting all the pieces together. Even though Jesus spoke in clear terms regularly, about his death and subsequent resurrection, the disciples could not put the pieces together. The coin had not yet dropped. This was not on their radar. But here in this room, where they were sheltering in place, Jesus appears. Jesus, 
The man that they had just watched die. The man that they had just buried. He was standing right in front of them. This wasn't a Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of moment here. This was literally, physically, Jesus standing in their presence. And when he's there, he turns their fear into gladness. Pick up reading in verse 20. When he had said this, when he had said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Their fear in that moment was turned to gladness when they saw Jesus. You know, anytime we get a glimpse of Jesus, a clear glimpse of the resurrected Christ, all of our fears are chased away. Anytime we get a clear glimpse of the resurrected Christ, joy and gladness bubbles up in our hearts and fear can find no place to plant its roots. This is what the resurrection is all about, church family. Jesus bringing us life and joy. Evil and death could not hold Jesus down. So there's an important truth that we don't want to miss here. In the middle of all of these little details about what was going on, it is that Jesus physically rose from the grave. Evil and death could not hold him down. I want you to notice how this happens. Jesus appears, right? He, he enters the room, and in entering the room, he is entering their shelter-in-place situation. Jesus is entering into their confusion, uh, their disappointment, their sorrow, their doubt even. He is entering into their fear. This is what the resurrected Christ does, church family. He is alive. He is active. And he meets us right where we are, even locked up in our homes. Jesus meets us here. We don't have to wring our hands about the future. We don't have to worry about how long we are going to be here. Jesus meets us here. Not only that, Jesus speaks a blessing over his disciples. He says, peace be with you. I know some of you moms at the house right now long for Jesus to say, peace be with you. Uh, my poor wife, she's got three grown men in the house. She's ready for us to leave any day now, right? But Jesus comes bringing peace. Peace be with you. In the middle of your home, the chaotic situations in the four walls of your house, Jesus says, peace be with you. And all of the conflicting news reports that we read about when this will end, peace be with you. With all of the uncertainty about your job, peace be with you. With all of the fear about what might happen, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus brings peace. And then as they're standing there, maybe, they're, maybe they think they're having a Casper the Friendly the Ghost moment, right? Maybe they're hallucinating. Jesus shows them his hands and his side. He's, he's offering up his body as proof of his resurrection. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm alive and I've got the scars to prove it. I remember growing up, we would go to church all the time. My parents drug us to church all the time. We hated it when we were kids. Looking back, it was a good thing for us. For our, our little hearts were being shaped. But all the kids used to go outside and play. 
after church. And so the church was built kind of on this hill. And so, you know, the church building was level. And right around ground level, at the top of the hill, there was like this brick ledge that went all the way around. So the further you got on that hill, the further away from the ground that brick ledge got. And so, of course, all the boys at church showing off for each other and trying to figure out who was the most awesome would climb as far out on that ledge as they could, as they felt comfortable, and then jump off and then kind of tumble down the hill. Well, obviously, I was going to go further than anyone else did. So, you know, like a really cool kid in the late 80s, I had a jean jacket, you know, a Levi jean jacket. Inside that jean jacket, I had a pencil. It was really important to have a pencil because you had to draw at church because as a kid, you're probably not listening to the pastor preach. And so I get all the way out on that ledge as far as I can go. Everyone's watching. And I jump off and I land and I kind of bend down and I don't tumble kind of keep my balance, and I stand up, and there's a, there's a pencil just stuck in my chest here. Not all the way in, just kind of broke it off and kept going and got home that night. I was getting ready for bed and realized that there was a piece of lead stuck in my skin here. By the way, that piece of lead is still there, right? And I have a, you know, so I can say I jumped off the very end of this thing, and I've got the scar to prove it, all right? Jesus appears and speaks to them and says, I've got the scars to prove it. I am here. This isn't a ghost. This is not a hallucination. This is Jesus, the one that they had traveled with, the one that they had touched, the one that they had eaten with, the one that they had learned from. This was Jesus in the flesh, up from the grave. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't simply arrive and bring them peace and prove himself and say, I'll see you boys later. No, no, no. He he has more. You know, it, it really is easy right now for us as we're huddled up in our homes, only going out for necessities to begin to question our why, right? To begin to wonder um, what we're supposed to be doing and why we're doing what we're doing, what finding purpose in what we're doing, um, and even what we might do when all of this is over. You know, I find myself thinking about these things. What does church actually look like right now? And I love you. I care for you. I think about you daily. I pray for you daily. And I wonder what it's all going to look like when we get back together. But, you know, in our isolation, in, in, in our questions, in our confusion, in our uncertainty, in our fear, we can, we can likely see Jesus for who he is in all of those things more clearly than we might otherwise be able to see him. Does that make sense? So, In these situations, God has a way of kind of cutting away the rough edges, moving the fog and allowing us to see more clearly. And, you know, when we see Jesus for who he really is, that is when we're in a position to hear what he really has to say. And this is important for us. You know, when the rat race commences... When the calls to spend money and consume and experience begin to echo in our minds and hearts, we're going to have decisions to make church family. Is what God is offering us right now truly a gift? Or is the better gift what awaits when all of the stuff starts churning up again and calling us to a chaotic and busy life? If we're careful, we can hear Jesus speak 
Jesus said to them in verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The disciples in the upper room, sheltering in place, were not without purpose. And this is the good news of the gospel for us this morning, church family. That we are a sent people. We were a sent people. I'm not sure we understood completely what that looked like. We are a sent people in the middle of a pandemic, and we will be a sent people beyond the pandemic. But let's think about the gospel implications of this for our hearts this morning. First of all, we're sent from a place of having received, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. There's a gift here in that Jesus has been sent to us and for us. The entire trajectory of our lives in Christ originates in the life and in the sacrificial death of Jesus. When we look at the cross, we see clearly that we are fully known and completely loved. Our sins, all of them, as ugly as they might be, are fully known to our Heavenly Father. And yet as we look at the brutal, bloody death of Jesus, we understand that we are completely loved. Our sins, all of them, have been forgiven. They have been removed. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins have been removed. They will never come back to haunt us again. It is from this that we live. It is from this reality that we find courage and strength to live out our purpose, our destiny in Christ, which means that we understand our purpose here in the world. We are sent in exactly the same way that Jesus is sent. That is, We are sent to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice for the sake of the world and for the glory of our Heavenly Father, that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Think about that term Paul uses, that we are a living sacrifice. All of our lives... Every single square inch of our lives operates from this reality that Jesus died and resurrected for us. We have been given life, not just so that we can give Jesus an hour on Sunday or a few moments as we listen to a podcast or just skimming the scriptures. Our entire lives, everything belongs to Jesus. When we recognize that we are sent in the very same way that Jesus was sent, there's this thing that happens to us. We are set free. The good news here is that when we recognize this, we are set free from the rat race that so many of us were tied to before the COVID pandemic came our way, right? The good news here is that our purpose is no longer found in the rat race, The purpose is no longer found in our productivity or the lack thereof. Some of us are really struggling with this right now. Our purpose is not found in our 401k or retirement plans. By the way, don't look at those things right now. Our purpose is not found in those things. That is not your goal or your aim. Our purpose is not in our child's travel ball team that had us so busy before all of this began. 
It's not in anything else. Your purpose, your why, it is far bigger than all of those things. It is in the God who raised Christ from the dead and it gave us new life in him. We have a clear future, a clear destination, and a clear aim that is far beyond anything this world has to offer. I can tell you that every time you give yourself over to the things of this world, good as they may be all by themselves, they have a way of latching to us and dragging us down. So while everyone else begins to hear and heed the voices of those trying to put to death the good gifts of silence and slowness and family that we're finally learning to embrace and experience right now. We have the freedom when all of this is over to continue to walk like Jesus walked with a focus on the cross to fully embrace the ways of Christ and his kingdom rather than being drugged down and tied down by the ways of this broken world. And here's the key. Verse 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We are not left alone, church family. You are not alone. I can't tell you how many Zoom calls I've been on the last few weeks. I'm tired of Zoom calls. I love seeing you and I love hearing you, but Zoom calls are wearing me out right now. Somehow, I spend energy on Zoom calls, but it's like when I'm not sitting in front of you, talking to you, it's almost like you're not receiving the same thing and you still are left all alone. But we aren't left alone. Without power, without direction, without God's guiding presence, Jesus gives the church the gift of his Holy Spirit. I want you to notice, I'm going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 8 that tells us a little bit about the purpose and the gift of the Holy Spirit as articulated by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, I'll begin in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons of God. See, creation is like longing for things to get right. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, Adam, in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is longing for things to be made right. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons. The wording that Paul uses here as he writes to the church, this idea of the first fruits of the Spirit, uh, this carries with it the idea that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our future resurrection. We know that there is a future because the Holy Spirit lives within us. 
And because the Holy Spirit is there, there's this constant longing and yearning for things to get back to normal like they were in the garden, for things to be made right. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus gives him to us so that we have this longing, this hope for the future. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The, re- the resurrection of our bodies, church family. You see, when we die and our bodies are laid in a grave, that is not the end. Not only of our spirit, but, but of our bodies. Our bodies, with our eyes, we will see our Redeemer. For in this hope, the bodily resurrection, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Church family, as I close, in this moment, let us not fail to see things for what they really are. If God is in fact leading us to a new reality, like he was the disciples on that day here in John chapter 20, and I believe that he is, regardless of whether things get back to normal or not, then we all have something to be hopeful for and excited about. Our steps, church family, all of them have been ordered by the Lord. None of us are here in this moment in history, in April of 2020, by accident. We exist here. We have been placed here in the global pandemic, here in 2020, by the providence of Almighty God. And we have identity and purpose in the pandemic and well beyond it. Not only that, Jesus has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Not only are we never alone, we have with us every single step of the way the presence of our creator and redeemer. And we can boldly say with the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, our bodies, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed maybe, but not driven to despair, persecuted possibly, but not forsaken, struck down even, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. I'm reminded this morning of the beautiful story found all the way back in Joshua and how Similar his calling was to ours of being sent. And I'm reminded of how similar this was to the calling that Jesus gives you at the end of Matthew's gospel. All authority is given, or all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, go therefore. He doesn't put qualifications in this. Go if there's not a global pandemic. Go so long as you have time. Go so long as your schedules are not busy. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is not a single place anywhere in the universe where the authority of Jesus 
does not rule and reign, where the gracious and generous rule of King Jesus is not a reality. What that means is that there isn't anywhere we can go. There isn't anywhere our feet can take us where the generous and gracious rule of King Jesus is not a reality. Wherever God's people are there, the generous and gracious rule of of our king is being extended. Listen to what God said to Joshua as he looked into the face of this new reality that he was about to embark on, this new journey. God said to him, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you. Remember, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and courageous. Meditate on the word of God day and night so that you may be careful to do according to everything that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God did not say to Joshua, wait for the pandemic to be over. Wait for your job situation to be taken care of. Wait for the kids to go back to school. Wait for your schedules to get back to normal. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will have good success. Our prosperity and success in the kingdom relies only on God and his word. Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was facing a brand new challenge. Things would never be the same. He would need to learn to follow God into a new reality where circumstances would be much different. But God's calling was the same. He's simply saying, go in my name. This is the calling that the disciples heard. This is the calling that we hear. We are the children of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, resurrected with him to a new life, where the broken and dysfunctional idols of this world hold no power over us. Jesus has given us life. Jesus has given us purpose. Jesus has directed us as to our lives and has given us his presence the power of the Holy Spirit, and put deep into our hearts a longing for a future with him, regardless, church family, of what lies ahead. Let us recognize here, in isolation, in the quiet, in the confusion, and in the unsettledness, and in the fear, who we really are, and what our lives are really all about. And let us rise up with courage together and begin to focus our eyes on what lies ahead to our future in Christ that has already begun. It began in John chapter 20. It began in the resurrection. Let us look deep into the darkness Let us look deep into the fog and instead of focusing on all of the things that we cannot do, Instead of focusing on all of the things that we cannot experience or that we cannot be or that we cannot consume, let us dare to imagine all the possibilities of what can be. 
Let us dare to imagine all the possibilities of what we can do. Let us imagine all the possibilities of what Jesus might want to do through us and in us. Right in the middle of all of this madness. Church family, we can finally, with great confidence, lay claim to this famous passage of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Listen to what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse doesn't exist so that we can make a free throw. It doesn't exist so that we can go make more money. It doesn't exist so that we can have a busier schedule. That verse exists so that we can understand how to live a thriving, gospel-filled, resurrection life in the middle of whatever life throws at us. As the wealthiest people in the history of the world now facing a pandemic and potential economic downturn, none of that is relevant to who we are in Christ. Church family, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. No one else can be what you are. No one else can offer what you have to offer. Let us rise up with Jesus. My message to you on Easter 2020 is this. Rise up in the name of Christ. Take courage. Do not be dismayed and follow him as if it were the only thing you had left. Allow your heart in this moment to be absolutely consumed and captivated by the presence of Christ now. While things are a little unsettled, while things are a little slower, so that when life begins to move again, you've already been recalibrated. Let us look ahead, church family, to all the glorious possibilities of Christ being Lord of all. He is risen. Christ is risen. Let us pray, church family.